DJ and PK, Gordon Monson sitting in for PK this morning. We are joined now by Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan. He's on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Mark, good morning. Good morning, man. How are we doing? Uh, we're doing all right. How are you doing? Is your head spinning? <laughs> hey, it's Friday. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing great. So I guess we're curious with the news Thursday that the Big Ten is going to a conference-only football schedule, and the Pac-12 seems to be, but I know you're not going to break any news and make any announcement on behalf of the commissioner and 11 other institutions, so we won't expect that. But you have told us in the past, probably three months ago, that you're already thinking about this possibility. If it happens, is it because... You're recognizing you just can't play 12 games because you can't start practicing now and you can't kick off as scheduled in early September, I guess week zero in late October, but excuse me, week zero in late August, um, week one in September, and rescheduling those games is a massive headache. Is this is a conference only just kind of an admission there's just no way to play 12 games? Well, you know, if you go back three months plus ago in the, in the Pac-12 football subcommittee, um, regarding COVID was put together, you know, that group looked at so many different scenarios, uh, depending on where this, this virus was going to be. And one of them certainly was a league only schedule. And I think the reason that you, you look at that is, 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 you know, for a couple different reasons, one, just maximum flexibility, working within the league and dealing with all the week to week issues that could come up. Uh, having a central decision maker in the in the Pac-12 office regarding our teams, et cetera. Of course, the other thing would be if we had schools that were in hotspots and just couldn't couldn't get to the practice field in that August period uh, to begin those 29 days toward toward the start of the season. So, um, you know, those are the key reasons. There's a few others uh, that are involved in there, but I think those are the key reasons. And I think the theory always was that if you got to July and you got into to decision making month, which I've said to you before that that really July was going to be a month full of massive decisions um, that if we needed to buy time then you move it into September um, because you can do a league only schedule and start you know in October and get most of the games in so those would be all the reasons to look at it and in terms of the Pac-12 you know we've been meeting very extensively two or three times a week Uh, we all saw what the Big Ten uh, did yesterday Uh, candidly I did not expect any of the power fives to to announce it at that time but you know, when one goes, uh, you can you can look at the others and say, well, you know, we've got now impacted league league uh, non league games affected. Of course, we had two huge Big Ten teams coming into our footprint in the fall in Ohio State, Michigan, coming into Pac-12 territory. So we've now been affected in our league with non-conference with that decision, and so that'll be another thing that we'll have to look at as we make the decision ourselves. Mark, was there any way there could be standardized testing even across conferences, you know, for for these non-conference type things so that people could feel more secure, uh, safe, uh, all of that? Yeah, absolutely, Gordon. I think that that's been something that has been uh, a a real goal for for all of us. I mean, we know that the Pac-12 and and the incredible medical institutions uh, that we have in our conference really have led the way in the testing uh, expectations. Our document, uh, you know, has been kind of leading, uh, leading the way in terms of others looking at that. So there's been a lot of effort, particularly amongst the, the Power Five group, to have uh, consistent testing across the board. We're not quite there. I think we're almost there. 
but you know it's going to be an absolute must. You, you just cannot play whether it's football, soccer, or name any sport, and not have standardized testing. It's it's it would be unacceptable. Um, and so it's something that that there's been a lot of effort to get to that point. Well, I didn't think so. I didn't think so much, Mark, about the flexibility of the scheduling. But I thought when I saw that uh, uh, Oregon Ohio State would be lost. I thought, man, two programs like that that have the kind of financial backing that they have, you would think that they would be able to find a way to standardize that part of it so that uh, people felt confident uh, going ahead and playing a game like that because, I mean, we were all looking forward to seeing it, you know? Well, absolutely. And and I would say to, to that point, there's no question that, you know, teams in those two conferences would would be able to come up with some type of, you know, standard testing. Like I said, I expect that we're going to see standardized testing across the Power Five uh, probably in the next couple weeks. Um, you know, again, we've got so many sports, and, and we just have to make sure we, we do that. I can't – I'm not inside the Big Ten room, and I can't say specifically, but I just imagine that they were looking for maximum flexibility to run their football uh, schedule, and they believe that was in their best interest. And it's certainly something that we're looking at in the Pac-12 as well. But I would say, Gordon, to your point, I don't think that was based on standardized testing. So, Mark, I think we're all curious, can the college football playoff move off its traditional kind of New Year's-ish uh, January timeline, move back behind the Super Bowl, and, and give all the Power 5 schools more time to, to make the season more complete, whether that's six games to eight or ten or whatever? Well, we've got the whole NBA in a bubble in Orlando, right? So anything is possible in the world of sports. Uh, right now, but as of as of today, Bill Hancock, the executive director and, and the committee that oversees the CFP, which includes commissioners uh, of the conferences, you know, there has not been a signal that they would move those those dates. Um, but one has to imagine that if the season uh, is able to to get started and if it's delayed, that there would have to be a real real hard look at what the CFP can do in short notice. So I imagine that those conversations will. You know, we'll really get going when we kind of figure out when when the start dates uh, for the the various conferences begin. Mark, is there any way that uh, football can be played if students aren't on campus? And do you expect it to be one or the other? Do you expect some combination of online type courses and some maybe a few on campus to make it a little more legitimate? Well, I think you go back to the very beginning. I think the premise was if you have shut down campuses, uh, it's hard to imagine intercollegiate athletics functioning in any normal manner. Uh, I do think that if there is activity on campus of some type, you know, whether that be percentage of, of classes and those kind of things, I think there's a, there's a way to do it as long as that particular athletic department is, is proving that, that the safety measures and the testing and all those things are as, as, as good as they, they can be. I mean, I know it's different. You know, certainly student athletes are, are, are used to competing through Christmas break when no one's here. You know, we, we've always got 200 plus kids here for that four, you know, that three to four week period. I know it's different, but it's, it's not new for student athletes to, to compete when the campus is quiet. But in general, Gordon, if your campus is, is closed and you're 100% online, it's just hard to imagine uh, having any, any intercollegiate athletics. 
Well, no one needs to unnecessarily get dragged into politics, which is what I say right before I drag you into politics, Mark. <laughs> Great. Um, I knew you'd be excited about that, but we know the the president's got the federal government issuing these new guidelines on ICE sending international students home, and I ju- if they're not in if they're only online, they don't need to be in the US is basically the logic. If they're in, on campus, and it's a way apparently to leverage campuses open, and you don't need to speak to that. But I just read that USC is offering international students a chance to do one of the classes that will keep them. There's a very select, limited number of classes that the SC campus is going to be open for. They're they're trying to go 100% online, but they're doing something to keep the international students there. And so I'm curious that you has international students, that you recruit students internationally. And I've also heard that, you know, some of the the science labs and that kind of stuff would be some of the limited stuff that would be open. And so in the mind of, you know, yourself and your president, Ruth Watkins, is that enough of an on-campus presence to justify bringing athletes on campus and say, this is one of the types of limited things we allow? Well, if you just look at the University of Utah right now and the plan that that obviously it, it can change and is changing almost on a daily, weekly basis, you know the idea of having in in person classes is still something that the U uh, is planning for as as we you know head into this mid July period, knowing things could change. But there is still robust plans to have you know a, a, a real fifty fifty type mix of in-class and, and certainly online. And again, all of that can change, and you prove that when, when it went online in spring, it can be very productive as well. On the subject of international students, you know, I'm not trying to be political either, but it was, we have a lot of international students here. Um, you know, our ski team probably leads the way. Our, our defending national champions would have been two-time national champions if we didn't have, didn't have to pull them off the slope in March. You know, I just feel for those kids. It, it is just such an emotional time anyway. And now this this decision, um, you know, came down, and it's it's just been very difficult. We've, we've really been communicating with our kids internationally. Um, but right now at the U, you know, there is a lot of, of contemplation for in-person classes. So we believe there's a route, um, and, and it's just so important. International students take away athletics for a moment. For this campus and for so many others, it's such a big part of the environment here, and they've contributed so much to U.S. higher education. So I hope we can we can make this happen for all of them because they're so important. Mark, I know you're not a betting man, but uh, what would the what would have to happen in order for there to be some fans allowed at Rice Eccles uh, come uh, come whenever the season starts? Well, for us to to really finalize and present to the proper authorities um, a path that we believe is is safe. Um, in, 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 you know, in the best possible way, uh, we are spending a lot of time, Gordon, on that particular issue, trying to figure out, you know, how the distancing, uh, how the entrances and exits would go. Uh, we're looking at things no one ever thought we would ever, you know, look at before. We've already done some modest changes, getting away from hard tickets and going all digital and those kind of things. You know, we're interested tomorrow at the soccer game. Uh, we've got staff going down to take a look at how they're going to run that. Uh, with fans in the stadium, I'm sure we'll learn a lot. Um, but that's something that we have a lot of focus uh, on because, you know, we believe that there's a path to do that. Now, that being said, you know, obviously the data in Salt Lake is not great right now. Um, so, you know, like me and others, I'm just really encouraging everybody to, to do what they can, wear your mask, be smart, 
so that we have a chance to, A, play football here, and B, have some people come and watch these kids. So I just encourage everyone to do the right thing to, uh, to try to get us to that point. So will the traditional uh, relatively balanced, you know, five, either five or four home games and five or four road games, a nine-game schedule, will that be out the window? Will there be flexibility in a conference-only schedule that, you know, Seattle was a hot spot in March. Arizona's clearly a hot spot now. Who knows who's going to be a hot spot in October or November? Could we see a scenario where teams are playing a majority games on the road to stay out of a hot spot? You know, in the, in the different... In the different uh, models that we have, you know, it was too difficult to kind of do a hotspot type map because, as you said, it, it rotates so much. I think that, you know, on a 10-game model, obviously, we're trying to give everyone five home games uh, at, at minimum, um, you know, to, to deal with uh, that issue, the revenue issue, et cetera, so that everyone could have five. But then it gets back to the idea of flexibility. Um, so if, if something like that happens in a county or a municipality can't host a game, uh, then the league, amongst all the 12 schools, can make the adjustments uh, necessary. So that would be an example of another uh, advantage for having a league-only season. But on the 10, obviously, it's, it starts off with each having five home games. Now, one of the things, this must be a real doozy for you, Mark, trying to figure this out, because I mean, who, whoever saw this coming, you know? But you, you think of the sort of uniformity that you can work with within a conference, but when your conference spans five or six states or whatever it is, now you're dealing with all these jurisdictions and all the government leaders and all. It, it must be, like you feel like... I don't know if you remember this, but I remember watching the Jackie Gleason show or something, and there was a guy who was spinning plates on sticks, you know, and he's running up and down, keeping those plates raw. It must be, I mean, how much, uh, <laughs> what, how are you handling that? Well, you know, I, I think that uh, there used to be a period of time where July was somewhat quiet, and maybe you could sneak away and go fishing or, or what have you. It's certainly not the case right now, but. But you know what I think of when when there are days that are long and there's things that you're managing and, and you know, the, the absolute of having games has always been a part of our business and, and now that's gone. You know, I, I really just think about it's it's not about us as the professionals over here and this incredible team of people that work in the athletic department. I, you know who I really think about, Gordon, the most during all of this is I think about our student-athletes and I think about, like, our upcoming senior class. I was – down there observing some of our volunteer workout this week and I saw a bunch of our seniors in a couple of the workout groups and I just I don't know I just had a moment I got I got a little I don't know I just got a little emotional about thinking about them and how hard they've worked to to get to this point and and now the uncertainty that they're dealing with right the uncertainty of am I even going to have a senior season or am I not even going to be able to have my family watch you know I just all these things that must be going through their minds they're young people right I mean that's the people that we care about. So whenever I start feeling sorry for my, myself, I really remind myself that that really, you know, it's the students, what they're going through, the uncertainty, their families, um, all of that, you know. And it's our job to to just present the best, safest path for all of them. And, boy, that's what we're spending a lot of time on working on. With that in mind, I'm, I'm curious, when I saw that Stanford was offing sports, uh, Stanford, I wondered, is that a possibility at the University of Utah as well? Well, gosh, I, Bernard is the athletic director there, and he's just he's, he's just one of the very best in the business. He's such a kind, kind person and thoughtful and great leader in our room. And I, I just, 
it's just the most heartbreaking thing you can even imagine, much, much less implement. Um, we've been able to, here at Utah, we've been able to really manage our budget. I'm so proud of our coaches and our staff. We've, we've taken off about $8.5 million uh, in our budget uh, for this year, um, and that's based on six home games with limited crowd. Uh, just through people understanding that this year is going to be a little different and we, we have to, you know, we have to just go lean, you know, um, and I'm just proud that our coaches, you know, really went to work on that. So because of their ability to do that, along with other operational cuts, we've been able to kind of march forward with, with, you know, whole, all their teams and all those other things. Now, obviously, where, you know, where you wake up in the middle of the night is when you start thinking about not having football or not having, you know, or half football, whatever. You just try to try to figure out how that would work. But the last thing that anyone would ever want to do is to eliminate a sport because um, that's what we're here for is to run sports and to uh, to help develop student athletes and uh, cutting sports just takes that all away. So we're not looking at that right now at all. Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Um, you know, you're responsible to the students. Uh, I'm responsible to the fans. And so I'll suck up if necessary because I like my job. <laughs> so I think what a lot of fans are wondering when they hear you talk about a 10-game season, uh, and then this goes back to Gordon's point about the, you know, the budgets and the finances and sustaining sports, does the priority become uh, ESPN – Fox, the Pac-12 network, which network ends up getting shorted on games? And of course, you know, a lot of people don't have the Pac-12 network. That's not something we need to get into now, but that's in the back of everybody's mind. Yeah, how, how does that work? I've heard that before, though. I, I bet you have. I bet you have. I've heard that. So how does well, that work? Well, you know, I don't think that, that we've looked at, it's an interesting question, we haven't looked at, you know, the the, the game that, that would be on this network or, or that network. What we do know is that there is, you know, certain value in each game depending on what network uh, you're on. And, of course, the typical selection process, which, you know, would have already been completed by now in a typical year. You know, in general, I guess what I can say is every game that's on Fox or ESPN is approximately $5 million, just a tad uh, under $5 million per game. Uh, in the existing Pac-12 deal and the Pac-12 network, it's it's slightly less than that. So, you know, each any game that you lose on any given weekend, there's your math right there uh, with with the contracts. Now, these are great TV partners. They've they've been with the the Pac-8, the Pac-10, and the Pac-12 for years, and everybody wants the enterprise to be able to pick themselves up and and move forward in some form or fashion. So, I'm sure there'll be a lot of a lot of conversations. That's Commissioner Scott and his team to, to work with the television partners. But that is the general math if you lose games. So right off the bat, if any kind of conference-only uh, model is put put forward in 10 or 9 game or whatever you're able to do, you're already right off the bat looking at a negative, um, you know, uh, dollar amount as it comes to our TV deal, much less, you know, any kind of fans. So, you know, it, it, I'm sure the Big Ten, I'm sure the rest of Power Five and the others, you know, you're looking at all that. But at the end of the day, you know, how do you get this thing going? When can you start? And, and what brings you maximum flexibility? That's the key focus is that we're on. Key focus, excuse me, that we're working on. Mark, about, uh, I want to say about 20 years ago, uh, DJ, I learned a term from DJ that I hadn't heard before. 
he said he was going to lob a hand grenade across uh, <laughs> uh, at somebody, and I'd never really heard that. But uh, let me lob a hand grenade at you. I wrote a, a column. Uh, you wait, wait, hold on a second, Gordon. I love the way this becomes my fault. You're going to yeah, do it, it but it's my fault. fault. Just okay. you learn something. Yeah, from it. okay. it's, it's always your fault. You should know okay, that. Okay, it's my fault. Go ahead. But I wrote a column about the lack of leadership in the Pac-12, and uh, I know you have to be careful about what you say about that, but uh, how do you feel about the direction of the conference overall, separate from the COVID-19, all that? Are, are you frustrated at all with, uh, the, with the deficit of money relative to other power conferences, especially the SEC and the Big Ten? No, I appreciate the question. You know, I've, I've had a really interesting lens into the conference for, for so many years at three different uh, institutions, you know, and, and, you know, basically kind of growing up in this conference. And I've been around Commissioner Scott since the, since the day that, that he came in. Um, you know, since I got back to, to the conference now two years ago here at University of Utah, uh, we certainly had a very, very difficult moment uh, a year and a half ago uh, you know, with one of our, our, you know, let's just call it what it is, the officiating scandal uh, at, at the Washington State-USC game. I think there was a defining moment uh, in the conference uh, with the athletic directors, with Commissioner Scott. You know, what I've seen really since that moment is a real transparent, um, collaborative environment um, and it's really been amplified during the COVID. I, I give uh, Larry a lot of credit uh, from the moment March hit and we were all in Vegas and trying to get out of there and, and get back to our campuses. He has been uh, just a fantastic leader in, in pulling us together. I mean, three or four times a week meetings, uh, really being in the forefront of providing all the information our campuses have needed. So I've been really, really uh, honored to, to work with him and his team during during this process. So there certainly has been, um, quite candidly, uh, a, a lot of really good work done by him and his team during this period. Am I frustrated that we have less money than the others? Of course. Who, who wouldn't be frustrated uh, when you're expected to beat those guys every time out in any sport? That's my expect, expectations of, of the youths. Um, so yeah, so we have to we have to figure that one out, Gordon. We've got two-year runway here to, to the next TV deal. Uh, we've got an incredible uh, group of schools, uh, historic, um, and we have got to put our best foot forward to be able to, to uh, you know, I don't want to just catch up. I'm not in this business to catch up and tie people. You know, we got we got to put our value out there and and, and be the very best we, we can be, and that, that has to happen. So, uh, yeah, I'm frustrated with that piece. Who wouldn't be? But I'm also very excited about uh, the future deal and what it could bring. Because money is such an issue, big picture, and then also in the, in the smaller pictures, you point out that a single game can be worth $5 million as part of a TV deal. Uh, I'm curious that as you go to the conference-only model, it, how much wiggle room is there for individual schools if they have space and if they have local or regional opponents to schedule one more game to help satisfy those contracts. I mean, the Iowa governor is not happy about Iowa, Iowa State getting canceled. And maybe it has to be, but you look at areas, and, and this would be one of them, but Ohio, Michigan, there's a lot of schools close to each other. Maybe you could sneak in a non-conference game and help satisfy a TV partner and create one more event. Is that going to be possible, or is that just too complicated with the way things are going? 
Well, at this point, nothing's off the table. I mean, the league has not voted for a conference-only model. We haven't done that, contrary to, to reports. We're, we're, we're obviously continuing to meet, and it's certainly a possibility. Um, but I think the best way I can answer that question is, you know, we will go as our conference our conference goes. And if a model comes out that is a, a nine plus one, you know, type model, uh, then that could be a possibility. Your plus one could, could uh, you know, be a non-con uh, opponent in a, from a local region. But we're going to go as the conference goes. Uh, and, you know, depending on the uh, decision-making in that regard, we'll, we'll follow suit. To put that in other words, I guess DJ could have asked about the future of uh, BYU-Utah this fall. Yeah, you know, obviously, um, you know, I'm, I texted Tom last night. You know, he's a, he's, a, uh, he's, a, he's a friend and a colleague, and we've, in the 24 months I've worked here, we've had a lot of different partnership things, and I, I just want to keep him up to speed on where things go. Um, he's a pro. He, he understands um, that it could go in that direction, and, and we would just work collaboratively to figure out what we would do going forward. But obviously, as I've stated before, uh, it's a great game for the Utes, and uh, a lot of our fans get excited about it. Um, our kids love love playing in those games, uh, but we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. Obviously, football travels charter, and obviously that simplifies some things for you. And obviously, we're going to ask you mostly about football. But for people who participate in or follow any of these other sports, you've got teams flying commercial. How is that going to work? Have you started to address that? Can you possibly add more charters? Are they going to alter their schedule and uh, cancel some flights and play regional games that are drivable, bussable? Yeah, I mean, obviously, travel and safety of our of our students is going to be uh, all part of this. And I think anytime, you know, if we're if we're not in a conference only type model, you know, we're going to have to get our kids to, to games. And and so in our in our footprint, as mentioned earlier, we're we're spread out a little bit. So I imagine we're going to have to fly, you know, commercially in in most cases, and uh, just take all the precautions uh, that you can. Uh, I know that folks that are listening that have flown, there's a lot of uh, a lot of precautions the airlines are taking, and, and we'll just have to work with our partners in the in the airlines. You know, we we uh, we spend uh, a lot of money flying, and so we have a lot of relationships in the airlines, and we'll just you know work with them to keep our kids as safe as we can. You know, we're blessed in intercollegiate athletics to have so many medical professionals around. I know you've had Dr. Petron on your show before, DJ, but um, we also had travel with trainers. Um, so we'll have a lot of oversight uh, when our kids travel as we normally do and just try to be as safe as safe as we can. If we can bus and drive, though, to your point this year, that's something that we would uh, want to do when we can. Last thing from me, Mark. Uh, is there a line somewhere that if you get to that line and, and go over it, that, uh, that the football season is completely threatened? Or is there a line that uh, ensures that uh, it will be played out? Yeah, I mean, that's the question that I think about a lot myself. You know, I mean, you, you, you know, I'm on the football oversight committee on the national group, and we've, we've talked about, you know, when we were putting together the six-week return to, to play plan, we, we often talked about, you know, what are the minimum standards. And, you know, that ranged from four to six weeks uh, to, to have these young people at this type of a level uh, be able to be ready to play. So, you know, we know right now we, we've had student-athletes back at most of our campuses, but in our footprint, not all. At Utah, we have our entire football team back and volunteer workouts. Next week starts the eight-hour period. 
where our coaches can finally now start working with them, you know, within a classroom setting. But as you move the calendar forward, in my mind, if you don't have at least four solid weeks uh, in front of that game to to be out there and practice, right? We still have to figure out how do we practice, right? Last time I checked, contact sport, those kind of things. We got to figure all that out. Um, if you don't have four weeks before that game, uh, you know it's hard to imagine conducting a football game, and the safety of our of our students becomes outside of COVID at that point. It becomes just their bodies being being prepared. So, if if for example uh, the first week in September, you know we're not able to do contact type practices, and it's three weeks before the game, you just can't imagine having that that football game on that Saturday. So to me, that's always been kind of the the sliding sliding scale as, as it will. And if I know you guys keep track of our conference, if you look at LA County and certainly some other places, they're just not able to do anything right now. And I don't know when that's going to change. So that's the challenge. Um, and of course, even when, if you start the season, you know, how do you manage, um, how do you manage if you get, get some kids sick, if you get some kids that have to quarantine, uh, what if you lose a whole position group? How do you travel? You know, these are the things that uh, there's no book to pull out and, and read, but these are the things we know that are coming. Um, so it's quite it's quite overwhelming when you think about all the different possibilities. So right now we're just going to control what we can uh, and have our kids safe during this volunteer period and, and see what uh, what comes next. Well, I hope you get to play as many games as possible because I know jobs are on the line, and we see that in multiple sports organizations, college and pro. But it also brings up the point that the uh, 85 scholarship football players, plus the walk-ons, um, are providing this revenue for all these people's jobs, and their earnings are capped, scholarships and a, and a stipend on top of that, but their earnings are capped there. Do you think this reality pushes forward the whole name, image, likeness thing, and, and kids get a chance to... Uh, make money off their name while they're in school with local businesses? Well, if you untie the two things that you mentioned there, I mean, the, the, the name, image, and likeness train is, is way out of the station and, and you know, kind of ready to, to roll and actually been spending a lot of time uh, within the league uh, working on that matter. We know that Senator Rubio has put forward his bill uh, you know the, the the association in January will will you know vote this in. I think there's a lot of really exciting possibilities in name, image, and likeness, uh, and the opportunity for our student athletes. And actually, really looking at this in depth, I think uh, University of Utah student athletes uh, will really have an opportunity based on the the um, you know the the kind of the market share that they have here in terms of, of, of them being popular and our great fan base. So I'm actually really excited about it. I think there's some things we'll do to, to make sure that we can work with our students to make sure that everyone's making good decisions. But I'm kind of excited about all that. To your first point, you know, at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. They don't have a players association. They don't have, uh, you know, they don't have that that kind of uh, support system outside of their families, which really is 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 why it's so important that myself and our coaches and and our entire administrative staff are doing one thing and one thing only: is it safe? Is it safe for them to practice? Is it safe for them to play? And you know, if I believe, and I'm sure others in our industry believe that it's just not possible, then we're just not going to play, and we we will figure out. You know, we'll figure out how to, to deal with that fallout, which will be significant. But the most important thing is their safety. And that's that's just my resolve as we work through this. Um, luckily, we have incredible doctors, uh, incredible doctors, not only here, but also in our conference that are really have stepped up extraordinarily so 
to try to put the best path forward. But uh, it's a fair point. It's a fair question, and I, and I know I know that that in my decision making, it has to be always uh, top of mind. Well, Mark, we appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for coming on and spelling out a lot of stuff for the uh, the Ute fans and the college sports fans in the area. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. And I, I did not know Gordon got up this early, so I learned I learned that. <laughs> so so oh, belie- I don't. <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, Mark, before PK and I did the show, and we started doing it in April of 2002, before that, I started doing – morning drive radio here. I'd done some midday stuff, but that's another story. But I started doing morning drive stuff in uh, 97 or 98 with Gordon and Ron Boone, Monson James and the Booner, MJB in the morning. And when Gordon got his afternoon gig, a couple months later, he told me, DJ, I was living my life in a fog. It's like it's lifted. <laughs> I'm still living in a fog, but that's uh, that's another story. He said that before I partnered up with PK, and there were, I was bouncing around. I had some different partners in there, and I'd always wondered if I would end up working with Gordon in the morning again. When I heard him say that, I thought, I will never do a morning drive show with Gordon Monson the rest of my life, no matter what happens. No matter what. And here we are. Yep. Exactly. I don't know, Mark. I don't know what time you get up, but I used to wake up about halfway through the show every morning. Oh, yeah. I, 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 tell, I tell people that. <laughs> when do you wake up to do the show? About 8.15. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I appreciate you guys. Have a great weekend. Okay. Thank you.